Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series, Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, uh, this person's car outside in the alley by my apartment that's playing the radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, so maybe I just sound like I'm making things up, but I promise it's very loud. Um, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You get one new episode for every donation. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes below. Um, this week's patron is B. McKenzie. Um, you should all also listen to her podcast. It's uh, called Keep Screaming. It's a slasher movie podcast on the Pod People Network. And guess what else is on the Pod People Network? The new show, This Ends at Prom, uh, co-hosted by BJ Colangelo, who's our guest again today. Welcome back, BJ. Hi. I'm sorry that I laughed at your co-host, but it made me laugh because my co-host is usually the really loud motorcyclists who drive down my street. Look, I I assume that... I assume that the podcast audience right now, especially right now, is more forgiving because most podcasts are recorded at home, but right now all podcasts are recorded at home. So it's like, you know, if you get a, a wolf from a pet or, you know, a car driving by, it's just it's it, it's texture to the world that we're living in right now. My favorite is some, some of the podcasts I've been listening to is you get to now hear their like cats just absolutely furious that you're <laughs> yeah. home and you're in their space and it's just people trying to be professional and do their show and then every once in a while it's like oh my gosh shut the fuck up like it's great <laughs> i do love that <laughs> um yeah oh sorry i i got distracted by the radio again yes we're here to talk about season one episode 14 black tickets um here's uh, this one aired on february 5th 1989 here's what you could have watched in theaters instead and let's see if it's better than last time <laughs> Oh, I don't know that it is. It's slightly. Um, okay, you could have watched Who's Harry Crumb? Um, you could have watched uh, the Larry Cohen movie Wicked Stepmother, which is not one of his more popular ones. Um, no, I can't say that it is. But you know what uh, it should be more popular than is that weekend also had a re-release of Gone with the Wind. Oh, boy. What a weekend. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's great. Um, the writer and director are a team that we've seen previously before um, on the episode The Bride Wore Red that we discussed with Aaron Dries. Uh, the writer's Howard Lakin. Director is George Kajender. Um, the cast here is actually an interesting cast. Um, Carrie Wall plays Miranda. She was a dancer in The Running Man. But then, as the character of Buzz is Bill Mosley. <laughs> um, yeah? Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, from Texas Chainsaw 2, Reap of the Genetic Opera, Devil's Rejects, House of Thousand Corpses, a million horror properties. Um, but m most importantly, this episode features, as the character of Rick, uh, Brad Pitt, who you might remember from that one episode of Friends. <laughs> like, my brain did not process what I was watching when this happened. I don't think the writer's brain processed what he was writing, <laughs> creating this episode. You know, so that's also it, true. It comes full circle. <laughs> but yeah, let's get into it. Um, Miranda and Rick are having the first night of their honeymoon. They have just eloped out of college and have not told their parents that they were getting married. But their car breaks down just outside of a little town called Springwood. Um, they're trying to head to San Francisco, so <laughs> they have a long way to go. Um but I wonder Brad where Pitt, were they coming from? Do they even say? I don't think so, but I imagined it must have been East Coast. 
I secretly Somehow. hope that it was like Pittsburgh and they've only been driving for like three hours. <laughs> that would be great. And he just just didn't put gas in his car or something. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they start walking into Springwood to try and get a mechanic or find a phone or whatever. Um, and Freddie, oh, Freddie pops out of a manhole, doesn't he? Yes. That... I... Yes. <laughs> Freddie's just all over the place when it comes to Springwood. <laughs> He's just popping out of places. He really, he, he is Pennywise the clown at this point. <laughs> Honestly, yes. That's a very good comparison. Thank you. Um, yeah, he says, it's a shame they bought a ticket to freedom only to have me punch it, which is actually, I liked that line. I like. Yeah, that I line. thought that was a pretty good one, but I will admit that it took me a second. I was like, what? Oh, like punching your ticket. Like, okay, I got it. Because that's <laughs> Not just him a, with boxing gloves. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a kind of an older expression because you don't punch tickets anymore. So True. my brain was like, oh, oh, nope, that, that makes sense. That's actually a good joke. Good job. <laughs> Yeah, now it'd be like, it's a shame they got an e-ticket to freedom only to have me scan it on my iPad app. <laughs> oh, that'd be so bad. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, we're, we're only moments away from that kind of material. We really are. Um, but yeah, so Brad Pitt is really into running away from their parents, but the girl's not so excited about the idea. Um, but he's like, I won't live in a goldfish bowl. Like our futures are preordained by our parents. But she's like, I think you're a little bit running away from me too. And I'm like, you've been married for 12 seconds, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course, um, like all, well, actually she is married. So I will give her the benefit of the doubt on this kind of like extravagantly romantic line, but all the teenagers in the show talk like this, but she says, I'll always love you from here to heaven. And it's just, it's very exaggerated the way that the romance happens on this show. Yeah, this is like live journal poetry. That's what's happening here. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, she, she invented live journal. Congrats to Miranda. Um, <laughs> but so they do find a phone booth. Brad Pitt crosses the road to get to it, but he gets hit by a car in the process. Um, turns he, out he's fine. He but... gets hit in a way where he should not have gotten up. Like, so... This is two episodes in a row where someone takes a tumble and are in way better shape than they have any right to be. Yeah, it's it's like he's made of rubber. <laughs> um, I don't think he even has any cuts or bruises or anything. He's just he just continues to be Brad Pitt after being fully hit by a speeding car. <laughs> yes. Um, but so they're at the phone booth. An old couple, like in a car, pulls up. And they're like, oh, we can give you a ride, but first you have to call your parents. But they refuse. And then the, <laughs> the, they pull out a gun and mug the kids. I had to stop the episode when this happened because I audibly screamed, what? <laughs> and it like distracted my wife. And she's like, what is happening? And I was like, this old man just pulled a gun. There's a lot happening. And the old lady just took the money and she's like dancing around like, <laughs> like with yeah. the money. Like a, and like a wicked witch. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> oh yeah. It's truly wild. Um, and the, the metaphor here is that they're like, your parents have paid for you up until now, but this is your last free ride. You got to make it on your own. Um, and then more things that make no sense. Bill Mosley shows up as the tow truck driver, but he start he's speaking in rhyme and yeah. 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 It's <laughs> at this point, something that this will come up through th throughout the episode. This episode is very confused on what message it's trying to give. 
and yes. like what I'm supposed to take away from it. And his appearance is when it starts getting confusing as hell of like, I'm not sure what moral lesson I'm supposed to learn from this. Yeah. Cause so basically, okay. So he's speaking in rhyme, which he doesn't do the whole time. I think they're supposed to call because their credit cards don't work, which I don't know how I would have found that out from the roadside. Cause it is the eighties. Yeah. Um, but they call the parents to try to get money, I guess. But they only get answering machine messages with, like, accusatory messages like, Rick, you abandoned us. We're already burning all of your stuff. Um, and then the phone booth turns into an elevator to hell, and they just sink into the earth. <laughs> the 80s was all about, like, elevators as, you know, transportation. <laughs> it, it was the hot new thing. <laughs> the, what the kids are into these days. <laughs> I guess, God. I don't know, but but after the commercial break, the phone booth has nothing. It's, it's gone. That whole they're just at a motel now. Um, yep. And like, did the elevator go to Bill Mosley's motel, which is fish themed for some reason? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Brad Pitt has a lot of sub Diablo Cody dialogue in this episode. Oh um, yes, he does. But my favorite um, here is. It was like, well, we're lucky we, you know, they're giving us a room at all. We look like poster children for the American Dirt Society. <laughs> and, like, they don't even look that, like, scummy. They look like normal fucking people. They look like Brad Pitt and friend. <laughs> yeah. And his hair is pretty incredible in this because it's, you know, the 80s. So it's, like, oh, long yeah. and very thick and luscious. But, you know, has a weird shape from the side. But from the front, it's a good look. Oh, yeah. Oh, and speaking of, oh, what is your, like, just while we're on the subject of Brad Pitt, like, what's your takeaway from seeing him in this episode? It, it's kind of, it's uncanny. Um, It was, at first, because the the opening scenes are, you know, dark, Um, I couldn't really tell. And then once they got to the motel and it's a little bit more lit, I was like, holy shit! Like, and then it just became really distracting for me because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you're fucking Brad Pitt. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Yeah, and it, it's interesting because he does already have like a I'm, – I'm not going to call his performance good, but he has like a raw charisma that a lot of – like especially the characters in the last episode did not have. Yeah, he he's br- kind of bringing his uh, – I wouldn't say like his A game for lack of the word, but like you can tell that like he just has kind of that it factor because yes. he is like outshining Miranda by – a lot in a lot of these scenes and it's not to say that she's not trying she's trying as well but he just has it you know he yeah he's it's that, mesmerizing it's that inalienable quality that just makes him compelling to watch like yes. as a movie star yes 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 um less compelling is uh bill mosley's character's brother todd who runs the motel who speaks like Bruce Campbell as Elvis. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> it's very strange. Um, he gives them the honeymoon suite and they immediately start fucking. Um, that that would not be my move um, in such a frightening place after such a horrible night. But, you know, they're newlyweds. They're and they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, Brad Pitt finds snakes under the pillows and Miranda goes into the jacuzzi, like, while he goes to complain about the snakes. But then, basically, Todd's like, oh, if you don't like those snakes, they're going to hate the piranha fish I put in the jacuzzi. Which, my, like, this is just 
again, moments where I'm just like hands up over my face. What in the actual fresh hell is happening in this episode? It, it This is one of those episodes that really poorly rides the line between what is a dream and what is reality. Um, because Brad Pitt keeps waking up from dreams, but the world that he's in outside of the dreams is still completely nonsense. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this, he runs into the room. There's this Cupid statue that shoots him in the leg with an arrow. Um, and then Miranda has vanished from the jacuzzi. He reaches in and his hands are burned and he lifts them up in front of his face. And it's this really horrible burned hand effect that makes him look like that Christian Wig character with the little tiny doll hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> but just with burned flesh on them. Yeah, that's pretty exactly it <laughs> oh that was a really good image you put in my head thank you for that yeah you're welcome yeah if if, if snl was a little more edgy <laughs> um but yeah so he wakes up from that um miranda is there and he calls the car service which is a very hilarious answering message because <laughs> like you've called deutschland auto service we're tired of servicing the upwardly modal mobile fix it yourself and they hang up <laughs> um and then she gets into the sauna, but she gets trapped. So he runs out into the lobby to grab an axe to smash the sauna, but he gets arrested. Um, and the cops are like, you have the right to remain silent, so shut up. <laughs> Which, honestly, that's so good. And I need that to happen in other properties, like yesterday. Yeah. But then he he goes ham in the backseat of the cop car. He is just kicking the backs of their seats, just non-stop like like one of those uh like a, like a drill press in a factory just going wham 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 <laughs> and the car crashes and he comes running back into the hotel and grabs miranda and is like I-, I killed two cops we gotta go and, <laughs> and she, her response is you've been gone 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> which is ac- uh, fair <laughs> i mean yeah but at the same time i'm just kind of like uh, that's a lot of damage you just did in 20 minutes. Yeah, honestly, impressive. Like, could could you do more? <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's like, we gotta run, we gotta run. And she's like, you only think of running. And he's like, we were born to run. And I'm like, uh, good, good Bruce reference, I guess? I guess, yeah. That's how you know they're American teens. God, yeah. Um, but yeah, so she starts having this, she just has a moment. She's like, we we were running, but we were scared of growing up. Scared we weren't special. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is a monologue of like some indie movie where you're a middle-aged woman trying to you know piece together her past after a divorce or something. Um, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is again because now we're getting to like what starts to feel like this is the moral that we're supposed to learn from. And I'm still not sure where I'm supposed to be going with this. Yeah, it it is. Look, they. Oh, this episode is one of a, a category of episode that the show has a lot, where they have like a kernel of something that should resonate with like the life of a small town teenager, and when they try to blow it up into a big dream metaphor, it just completely falls apart. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. But yeah, so he he steals a car, and then he's driving down that same road in the middle of the night. He runs someone over. It turns out that person is himself. And this has been a whole, like, Owl Creek Bridge-style death fantasy. But as we find out later, he still didn't die. He is immune to cars. (laughs) 
<laughs> so what I was trying to figure out is because right before he, you know, hits himself with the car, um, Miranda screams at him, oh. uh, like, you need to stop running or you're going to die. And then obviously he hits himself. So what what I took from that is he was killing his past life. And now the man standing in the road is free to settle. <laughs> like That's the takeaway. <laughs> Well, this was, you know, the the Reagan era. So, you know, building the nuclear family of straight people who don't do drugs is is the dream, right? Mhm. Mhm. You know, even when you're 18. Ugh, disgusting. Um, but yeah, so the fog transitions to Freddy's liminal space and he's like, he needed a crash course in growing up, which again, pretty solid. Mhm. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, like it, oh, and then he does put some lovebirds in a cage, and he says, like, dinner is served, which is, you know, less good. <laughs> but, you know, he, he needs a lot of business. But he's also the palming those, burn, those birds, like, <laughs> like stranglehold these birds. Yeah, and because of the inferior, like, VHS rip quality, it's hard to tell that they're even supposed to be birds in the first place. They might just be, like, those fake ones that old ladies put on their hats. Oh, Absolutely. Um, oh, but also a kind of neat thing in the first uh, first shot of the second half of this episode, um, there's a cuckoo, cock, cuckoo clock with Freddy's head on it. Yeah, that's fun. I want that in my house. Oh, oh yeah. That would be great. And the, the amount of merchandising that Freddy had, I'm shocked that this didn't become a thing. I am too. And largely disappointed. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess they're both fine. Like, Brad and Miranda have just settled in Springwood because they're like, well, we don't have a car, so guess we live here. <laughs> We're not running anymore. Yeah, they, they don't go back home, though. They just stay in Springwood. <laughs> right, and... which, again, I'm not sure what I was supposed to take away from this. Like, you, the whole episode is like, don't disrespect your parents and don't run away from them. But then the moral is stay in Ohio, which is a terrible fucking moral. <laughs> it really is. And I'm saying this as someone who lives here because I just realized that I've not made that clear. I live in this hell hole. You don't need to be here. This is bad yeah. place. This Take is bad place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Miranda has gotten a job at Big Hair Records, which is what I assume it's called. Which is um, what I really hope it is called and I want to exist because it that place is like dripping with some don't tell mom the babysitter's dead goodness. Oh, yes. Um, but yeah, so Miranda has a job as a secretary, but her boss is like, you're on the fast track to become like a music producer, I guess. To be a something because you show some moxie with your secretarial skills. Oh, yeah, because that's how it always goes. Um, so she's she's trying to live her Melanie Griffith working girl dream um, because Springwood's corporate sector is really booming right now. <laughs> but it is a business that's run by women, which I'm a fan of. Oh, yeah. Um, although women who disrespect working mothers to the point that they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like when she talks about missing her period, her boss is like, mm, that would be incompatible with your job. Say goodbye to the fast track. Like not even in the, the subtle insidious way that corporate culture does do that kind of thing. No, just, just straight up like on front street, like you get knocked up, you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, and she, she yeah, she says motherhood is incompatible with this job. What the secretary job? 
um, <laughs> right. Like, I feel like every secretary in America, unless they're doing like a college internship, even if they are doing a college internship, they probably like have a kid. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Yeah. And how how many music artists are rolling through Springwood to be represented by this company? That's the that's the real question here. Like, who is so in demand that they need to go to Springwood to get signed? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's driving home after this conversation with her boss. She sees herself in a station wagon full of kids, like, putting a gun to her head. And, oh, this is the part where Freddie comes out of the manhole. Um, oh, yes, yes. Because he says, like, oh, she's got a front row ticket to the American dream. Um, which I guess music company, family, okay. Sure. The pieces are in there somewhere. Um, and then she and Brad have a conversation, and he's like, well, I kind of want a kid. And she's like, look, your life will be tougher, but mine will be ruined. And it is, he's very much offering to be, like, a 50-50 co-parent, but the kind of underlying conversation they're having is that like she will have to give up everything to have this child and what i actually really liked about this scene is because he he's being you know the 50 50 parent like oh well you know I'll, we'll make it work and then she's like yeah well you're not gonna have to feed it with your body and you're not gonna have to give birth to it and like wreck yourself and it's like yes. i'm glad thank you for saying that yeah no i really appreciate like this scene was on and off point very frequently it, was, it lived in both vectors of like there's the there's the fact that like having a baby doesn't ruin your life it can um but like the just the the sheer incompatibility of it is weird to me um but also i don't know it's just it's so I just don't know what I'm meant to get out of it because I loved that moment that you mentioned where she did say that, where she's like, this will affect me profoundly and my body, which is like a very unusual way for the eighties to approach a pregnancy. Yeah, very much so. Um, But I, I just, I, I think I was weirded out by the assumption that like someone who chooses to have a baby is like flushing their life away. Which is also yeah. a weird assumption, because it's like we're we're not we're not living in the gray area of this. It's very extreme, and it's and again, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk later. This moment, I was very on board with this episode. I was like, okay, yeah, like you're really kind of addressing how I, I guess not only how having a child will affect your life in such a profound way because I think so many teen pregnancy sort of things they either present it mm -hmm. as like oh your life is over or they present it as like you can make it work and this is kind of playing the middle where it's like it's not the end of the world but it could be um depending on like how we want to do this and I was like which, okay. which is true I'm, I'm not trying to like not say that right Right, but I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I'm kind of here for this. And then also here for, you know, her putting him in his place when she's like, yeah, it'll be fine for you. But like, I, you know, I'm going to have to do a bunch of stuff that you're not going to have to do. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we move forward. And then it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. The more, the morality of this just goes off the rails. Um, You mean the very next scene where she's already pregnant and then her friends ask her to go out and she says, no, I can't. I'm too fat to have fun. Yes. Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> like, 
my, like my whole brain just kind of exploded and like don't get me wrong i i am a fat person i am very used to the fat phobia that i am that i have to listen to whenever people get pregnant but like wow <laughs> like, like that is such an extreme like it is pushing that to the absolute edge of the concept it is bleak yeah um, and really real. really brutal and um, also it's like you're not too fat to have fun you can have fun at any size you're fucking pregnant and should not be like going out to the clubs while you have a baby in you like yeah exactly like your your size is not the reason to not go to the club it is the fact that like you are nine months pregnant and you know like exhausted yes <laughs> your feet are very swollen sit down yeah um but she does go to work and they have already replaced her they haven't even told her she's fired they're just like oh you're here <laughs> and i love that she's wearing like the kirsty alley pregnant in look who's talking outfit where it's like the long like vest dress <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was a very nice touch like long gone are her beautiful oh there's those motorcycles i don't know if you can hear them i can um, <laughs> they're oh. just the coolest people ever and they do this like eight times a day um but yeah long gone are her awesome like don't tell mom babysitter's dead outfits now she gets to be kirstie alley from look who's talking (laughs) what a what a step in some direction um (laughs) but yeah so basically she just has to leave because they've replaced her and her boss calls calls out after her have a nice childbirth (laughs) Which, which is so petty, but also kind of funny. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd, yeah, it was it was a good line. <laughs> yeah, it, it made me laugh, like because it's so stupid, and this this show kind of exists in a world that is unbelievably dumb sometimes. So when she, sometimes. Like, it, it just makes me think of like those movies where people are like, I hope you have a baby and it hurts, <laughs> like as that kind of insult. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but so th- this, I don't know, this sequence is just a sequence of like all the horrible visions that she had about her pregnant future coming to light. Like she has the baby now. Baby's name is Janie. But Brad Pitt has a job as like a midnight security officer, I guess. I think it's his it's his second job. So like he's uh-huh. never home because he has to work two jobs. Okay. But one of them is like a security thing. He has yeah. like a, a fancy uniform. Um, but and she's like, "Come make love to me," and he's like, "Who's got the time or energy for sex?" And I'm like, "You know what? I feel you." <laughs> um, <laughs> too much information. All right, moving on. I also love the idea that like Brad Pitt, who up until this point has been very like sex positive and into his wife, is suddenly like, "Not now, babe. No sex." And I think he says like they can do it when she's three. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, when the kid is three. <laughs> Which is like one, like what? Where's your math? Show your work. I need to know why three is the acceptable age for you to start having sex again. Yeah, but it's just it's so counterintuitive because I feel like every movie, TV show, stand-up special, anything that I've ever watched, it's always been like the wife has the baby and dad is like, oh, time to fuck again, and she's like, get away from me. So to see it flipped, I again, I was like, what is? The morality here, like, don't have a baby because then your husband won't fuck you? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, like, what is the theme? And it's not like, because there are real fears that people have with pregnancy about their body changing. And if their body is something that's, like, really, like, important to them, 
then, and then not feeling desirable because of that. Like that is a real fear that people have. Right, but this um, isn't even touching it, on like desirability. Yeah. It's, it's not that at all. No, it's like if it was, you know, it sounds bad, but if it was a, a through line of like the I'm too fat to have fun, if it was like, mm, nope, you're gross now, like that would be terrible. But I'd be like, okay, this at least makes sense from like a story. But the fact that he's like, no, we don't have time anymore. I'm like, that's bullshit. You would make time. Yeah. Um. To. I mean, at least at least in this situation, he is literally leaving for work, which is a bad time to try to initiate sex. Right. Um, but he's like in three years, please. Yeah. Like get home, take a nap, you know, fuck it out. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> she looks at herself in the mirror and she says the immortal line, I'm 18. I can handle this. <laughs> oh, youths. We were all there at some point. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I approach a lot of teen stuff with like my more adult eyes now, especially on this show, because everyone is always saying like, I'll love you forever when they're in high school. Right. And that is how a lot of high school relationships go, because they're, those feelings are so strong and those hormones are out of control. Oh, absolutely. Um, like we we talk about that a little bit on our podcast, where as much as we want to cringe and like make fun of these characters my ass was definitely like that when I was 18 and I think that's why like I genuinely think that's why like the stereotype of U-Haul lesbians exist and it's because you're now finally getting to date somebody that you weren't able to date when you were in high school so those same feelings of like oh my god I will do anything for you happens but now you're at an age where you can buy a house and you make dumb decisions yeah no this is actually that ties in I think a lot of queer people have a kind of arrested development in the dating sphere because they don't get to do any of that high school shit in high school so a a lot of older adult queer people are starting that phase really really late and they have to get through that in their 20s or even their 30s yeah and you don't have your parents to be like no shut up like this is this is a dumb idea you are not running away and getting married you have a curfew but then when you're like 25 it's like oops i ran away and got married (laughs) exactly uh being gay is great um i mean it is um but yeah anyway so in this episode miranda gets like kidnapped by a trio of trench coat wearing cops that interrogate her about motherhood um one of them is very endowed from hands made handmaid's tale yes oh yeah and she's like motherhood takes guts commitment and my favorite this part's my favorite her or miranda's response to that is i got straight a's in high school (laughs) yes like I'm prepared for this. I had straight A's, which is uh, also I think accurate to how teenagers feel about things. Yeah, it really is. Like I'm on the, I'm on the honor roll. Yeah, I can do anything. Oh my god, that's a thing. Yeah, that's how they try to get the bank loan in Sugar and Spice. Is that she's an honor student? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> oh, teenagers. Yeah, so they put her in a cage full of the sounds of crying babies, which is called the postpartum sleep deprivation camp for unprepared mothers, which is also kind of fun. It's super funny, actually. Um, but then there's just like a her like the the trench coat people and like a doctor are yelling at her, and they're like, you're, "You've given birth to your own replacement," and other like mom fears. Yeah. Um, she she wakes up to go get the baby um and a freddy nightlight turns on and also i really want that <laughs> same 
Um, and the baby's in one of those little plastic baby cars and hits Miranda and knocks her over. And then she gets pelted with diapers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this seems wild. She falls into the crib, which is suddenly really big. And then she like tries to peek out of the crib. And all of a sudden, Brad Pitt, two of the lady cops, and the doctor are doing a barbershop quartet lullaby. <laughs> it's it's a lot like it this whole segment is just like a giant like baby fever dream yeah it's just i if i ever get to meet brad pitt for any reason i'm gonna bring up this moment because <laughs> i need to know everything about like how long did you rehearse this barbershop lullaby parody song <laughs> <laughs> like when they did they tell you this was happening when they gave you the script or was this like what i i tell me the process yeah god yeah did you read this and say yeah i'll sign on <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so she wakes up from that realizes she's not pregnant she jumps on the bed in joy the cuckoo clock falls beneath her foot and she just kind of conks her head on the floor falling off the bed and then it cuts to Brad Pitt talking to some doctors and they're like, she might be a child for the rest of her life. And it's just like her playing with toys because the bonk on her head made her five years old in her head, I guess. Yeah. And again, this is where the morality doesn't make sense to me because it's like, okay, don't have a kid. It'll ruin your life. So like, don't have the kid. But then you're excited about be not being pregnant, which means you don't want to settle down and like have a family. So now you get to be a kid forever. Like, do I have, like, is this trying to play against like the whore Madonna complex? Like what is happening here? What? I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to feel about babies now. Somehow. I don't think the whore Madonna complex was uh, floated around in the Freddy's nightmares, uh, <laughs> staff room. <laughs> I don't think so either, which is why this doesn't make any sense. Like this moral is, I don't know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, which I mean, that's weirdly correct in terms I mean, yeah. of in terms of how we treat people who can have children. But also, what? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's complicated. Um, and then Freddie says she took a licking, but she kept on ticking cuckoo, 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 which sure. Thanks, Freddie. Thanks for stopping by. Um, so what are your final thoughts on this episode? Was it a dream? Was it a nightmare? Or did it put you to sleep? This one's a nightmare. This is a full tilt nightmare because one, I the idea of having a child is a nightmare, which is weird because uh, yeah. I'm extremely maternal. Like I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a great aunt. But like for me personally, no thank you, never. Um, so that's a nightmare. But more so this this episode just feels like all of the infighting that people have surrounding childbirth and whether or not people want to have children because I definitely am a huge advocate for people having the right to choose. Like if you want to have kids, do it. If you don't want to have kids, more power to you. Like, yeah. But the fact that like, this is this ultra vicious sort of look at all of these options being terrible Ugh, I just I hate it. It's it's the worst. It's like a giant Facebook comment section came to life. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I, I do agree with all that. I, I am categorizing it as a put me to sleep because I liked some of the ideas they were chewing on. I think the execution was piss poor, as it usually is on this show. <laughs> um, but it was at least slightly more coherent than the previous episode we discussed together. Yeah, that's true. This one at least, like... It, its intentions, I don't think, were on the same page, but I could at least follow it along and know exactly where I was at any moment in time. 
Yeah, the the theme was off, and the reality versus fantasy of it all was off. But at least it's like it kind of goes from A to B in a certain way. Yes, <laughs> there there's a through line here, and. I think this is also stronger in terms of the story being, you know, this episode's about this couple. The first story is very much, you know, Brad Pitt's story. And the second one is is Miranda's story. And I liked mm. that. Whereas, you know, the previous episode was like, hey, remember that character who had two lines in yeah. the first half? Here she is. It's very scattershot. Yes. Um, but I, like I said, I do think this is the worst pair of episodes we've done for this show. So I'm really sorry. But thank you for coming along on this journey. You know what? Thank you again for letting me endure this excruciating experience with you. Um, I'm glad that we could do this together. I think we've bonded. I think we have a connection now that other people aren't going to understand. This is trauma bonding that we're having right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy we could do this together. Um, and let's remind everyone of where they can find you and your podcast out in the world. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at BJ Colangelo. That's where all my writing can be found. Um, and then you can find the podcast This Ends at Prom at This Ends at Prom on Twitter and Instagram and wherever you get your podcast. It is a Pod People production. Oh, you're going to be hearing that voice so much more. And I'm very happy to help. I mean, obviously, like, look, um, it is all 100% BJ and Harmony. I just live in the website and put it the place <laughs> where it goes. Um, so I'm taking absolutely no credit for their incredible work. I'm just happy well, to be involved in it in any way. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that, you know, you gave it a home. And that makes me very, very happy. Because oh. that's that's so needed. Yeah. And I, it's, it's a great concept. And it's something that needs to be explored. And I'm happy you're doing it. Well, thank um, you. You're welcome. But yes, uh, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. Please help us keep going by donating to The Ochre Project. You can donate through the link in the show notes, take a screenshot of your receipt, and send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. Our artwork was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send him a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Next episode, which BJ will, well, I'm not going to say sadly, because I think you're very happy not to be continuing on. <laughs> um, but next episode, we're going to be covering episode 15, School Days. A Springwood High student is summoned to the principal's office and begins having nightmares. So that that could go any direction. I don't know how that's going to be. I mean, have fun. You're, you're th my thoughts are with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I Look, I need all of the... All of the thoughts I can get. Thoughts and prayers. Um, thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Thank you. And until next time, goodbye, everybody.